Welcome to Book Tour. Two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Tonight, we have with a special guest. This is uh, the second and, I mean, likely final <laughs> Patreon pick for the year 2019. Um, you heard our, uh, our other pick from uh, Misty Bennett last week, which is Recursion by Blake Crouch. This week, we have Jesse Lawrence joining us to do our uh, our other Patreon pick for the year, which is going to be Stephen Graham Jones. It came from Del Rio. Jesse, welcome back. It's been, it feels like months. It has. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Rob, do you want to give some disclaimers on this review we're doing? Yeah. Uh, so one of the one of the um, tentpole kind of uh, ideals of of the podcast has always been we want to talk about books that you have the ability to read, uh, meaning like it's something that's in print or you can get an ebook of it or something like that, um, or it hit it hit enough distribution where like it's easy easy enough to find um, and read yourself. This is going to be an exception. <laughs> Because this book was released in 2010 from Trapdoor Books, which is a Colorado imprint that I think might have something to do with the university that Stephen teaches at. I'm not 100% sure about that. I could just be making that up. Um, but it has since gone, since gone out of print in the print book, and also it is unavailable as an ebook, which means if you want to buy this, you're buying a used copy, or a, you're buying a copy that a, a bookstore has for sale understanding the rarity of the book. Um, I think the absolute least you're spending is about $200. Yes. So, um, that, that's true. So we'll say that's not impossible. We'll say it's difficult, but <laughs> I did come up, I did come up with something in thinking about this is there is another option. You could badger Jesse on social media, and I'm sure that if you did it in enough and approach it the right way he will read this book to you over the phone oh <laughs> so if you're that intrigued jesse is on all the major social media um uh, sites right right he's got an instagram page he's yes, on sir. myspace you can get him anywhere wait yeah, should he's we on friendster should, should we just read this now like the oh. three of us we'll take turns right, and right. that's the podcast yeah yeah all right, Dude, Rob doesn't. Rob is trying to figure out how not to read the synopsis. <laughs> I don't think you're going to get him to read the book. Call me Dodd. That's what I used to tell my clients in the bars and alleys and dives. I called my office. Oh, are, so we're. I'm just diving right in. Like I, I'm diving right into it. I, I heard that, and no, that's okay. No, you right. can keep going if you'd like. And now I'm having sec second. I'm having second thoughts on this. Maybe it's not the best way to go about this, but. Um, here's what I'll say that there, there is like a tragedy that, um, and, and with the prolific nature of, of Steven putting out books, um, I guess it makes sense. He's got so many books out there. Some of them are going to fall out of print and, um, unless he tries to get them put back up somewhere else, they're just going to kind of fade out a little bit. And I think that's the case right now. And I would imagine that there's several books of his, especially the older ones that are, difficult if not almost impossible to find for sure so um we're gonna try to do this uh, a lot like a regular review maybe a little more spoiler heavy so uh, you know we're not doing it on purpose but i think we're gonna take off the reins so we can talk about this book freely but that's gonna start with a bio 
that Rob is going to do because I'm pretty sure that I feel like you have done the bio for Stephen Graham Jones every <laughs> single time. Because when I read it, I hear it in your voice. That's really. This has got to be like the tenth <laughs> Stephen Graham Jones book we reviewed. Eighth, maybe. Ninth. Yeah. I counted so, last um, night, so I know yep. specifically. <laughs> so take it away, Rob. Born and raised in Texas, in Boulder, Colorado now. 45, black feet, into werewolves and slashers and zombies. Would wear pirate shirts a lot if I could find them, and probably carry some kind of sword. I will note, and I think this came up recently in a discussion with, I think, Paul Tremblay. This is the bio that is attached to, it came from Del Rio in the listing on Amazon, uh, which means it's probably the bio that got put up when that listing went live, because this feels like an older bio for Steven. So you're saying Steven's like 52 now? Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, I have no idea how old he is. But <laughs> do you think he's 45? <laughs> I um, I know that him and I are very close in age. Huh. I just don't remember if he's a year older or a year younger. So 45 could be a thing. So could 47. Hmm. So. He's not 52. <laughs> I know. I know. I know that we're right about the same age. We have so many of the same um, interests that it's it's, uh, it's a little frightening at times. Um, before I get to the synopsis, Jesse, you want to tell us why you picked this particular book? I mean, I, I never need, a, need an excuse to reread any of his work, but it doesn't hurt that I can do this here and get on get on the waves with you guys and like, just talk about how much I love, love this book, which is kind of what I wanted to do. And I also really wanted both of you to read it. Cause I wasn't sure if either of you had yet. And I love this book so much that the main thing was I wanted both of you to read this book because it's just, it's phenomenal. You too can get us to read a book of your choosing. If you're a Patreon subscriber at the appropriate level, what level is that Rob? It's 10 bucks a month. There you go. 10 bucks a month, and we can read one of your favorite or least favorite books, however you'd like. So here's the synopsis. Before you jump into that, Stephen Graham Jones was born in 1972, which I believe makes him 47? Uh, depending on when his birthday is, yes, because I know someone else was born in 72 that's going to be 47. Math. That's me. So, um, yes, if he was born on or before this date, he is 47. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. There you go. Good good call. Way to to call out the calendar system there. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Here is the synopsis for a camera. I want everyone to know that we've been on for an hour. And I will tell you that I feel sad for this episode because I feel like all the ingenuity was gone in talking about Miriam Webster <laughs> and the geography of Texas, flat earth and all the other topics that we covered in the previous hour. So potable if water, feel a little lackluster. Yeah. Potable water. Um, it's because I think we've, we've, uh, we've, we're spent. This is, you guys are getting the cuddle after the climax. So uh, here it is. <clears throat> there are borders and then there are borders between right and wrong between Texas and Mexico. The first is a joke to Dodd Reigns, the second a payday. Then there's the borders he's made, between himself and his estranged daughter, the Border Patrol agent, between himself and his one-time employers. And there's another border, one he cares about even less than the Rio Grande, the border between life and death. 
used to the shadow of Dodd Reigns cast when he stood dripping from that water. It was the shadow of a fugitive. But now that fugitive's coming home, and the shadows he's casting, it's got rabbit ears. Listen, you can hear the chupacabras padding along beside him, their new master. He's that big guy in the hood, slouching out by the gas pumps, walking north for justice. Austin's never seen anything like Dodd Reigns and never will again. Get ready. I, I got to say, I feel like Steven wrote this synopsis. I, I think the giveaway is the, the really um, quick sentences, the quick short sentences that is very indicative of, of Stephen Graham Jones. And the use of the words used to, as if that was like a bigger part of a sentence, you know? Yeah. Like it used to be or something like that. Used to, the shadow of Dodd Reigns. That feels very Stephen. Um, I want to start by saying that I'm still not sure. So uh, let, let me let me take a step back. Two weeks ago, I was fairly certain that a chupacabra was a fictional creature. Fast forward to today. Now I'm not so sure. Does anybody have any chupacabra information? Oh, I mean, they got to be out there, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> they really don't. But I'm the guy that doesn't believe in anything, so... Um, uh, I like this version. I like the version of chupacabras that show up in this book because it's got like at least some sort of origin story. And I guess I know that we're getting way ahead of shit, but like I, I like the fact that like there's an explanation about why these things are the way they are. Um, I did Google this like just now, and, and basically, wait, did you Google are there chupacabras? <laughs> I actually just chupacabra okay, and i okay. didn't put in the r there um <laughs> basically it sounds like and this is just one article from national geographic i mean they kind of know their stuff right scientists believe legendary chupacabra monsters are actually coyotes so i think these are just some badass coyotes that people thought were a mythical creature it would make sense like mm -hmm. they just like well i guess the question is like are people seeing these things alive or just finding like a twisted up corpse and thinking, wow, that couldn't just be a normal coyote. Um, this article implies that uh, they think, and this is from 2010, so there might be newer science on this, that parasites can turn them into goat suckers. Cause basically chupacabras are supposed to be like vampiric dogs. Right. That makes sense. And that parasites could cause, um, could cause that. So think like, you know, like a rabid, coyote maybe something along those lines hmm. so there you go the more you know bum, 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 bum. um all right so i guess we should do this at least a little bit like a normal review right even though no one's ever going to read this book correct um so uh the story starts out from the perspective of don rains who's the you know kind of the focal point of the book and um he is kind of, he's a smuggler, right? That's what he does. He smuggles things back and forth between the United States and Mexico. And he's, uh, all right, he, he gets a job, a smuggling job. That's like the mother of all jobs. That's going to make it so that he can walk away and live his life um, without having to smuggle anymore. Um, and the, and the interesting thing about it is, if I remember correctly, because I read this all in one sitting last night. Um, 
he's talking about it in sort of a present tense, but also reflecting on it from like a future. Like he's looking back on it at some points. Mm -hmm. So the perspective shifts a little bit from like what's happening in the moment to him reflecting on what had happened at that time. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Correct. And this job, um, as Rob mentioned, is the uh, it, it's it's the it's the typical heist job, right? Like when you see a heist movie or heist story, like this is the big one. The big and score. I can, if I get away with this one, I'm done and I'm out. And he's got some motivation. He's raising a, a daughter by himself. He's living uh, kind of off the grid in Mexico. So if he can uh, secure this the 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 funds from this one job, he can. Uh, you know, move them farther into Mexico, give up the smuggling life, and just live a a, a simple life w- with his kid, which is what he wants. But of course, those jobs are never simple. So mm-hmm. this one is a is a super uh, secretive job, right? So Dot is introduced to what happened to the last guy that like blew the job, uh, and he's rolled up in some fencing and stuff, dead obviously. And he's told uh, he's given some conditions. He has to make it in a certain amount of time. He is unable to use any vehicles. He's got to hoof it the whole way, and he can't, under any circumstances, uh, tamper with or look inside um, the briefcase that he's given. Strikingly similar to the opening plot of the movie The Transporter, by the way. <laughs> so I'm just I'm not saying that that movie stole from it came from Del Rio, but it came from Del Rio came first. The transporter, Jason Statham. This package, yeah, this package does not have. That was a teenage girl, right? Yeah, that's. Am, yeah, I, am yeah. I remembering that right? Yeah, uh, it was this, like a this little is not Asian a girl. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not a person, but he is transporting <laughs> something that uh, he is uh, strongly encouraged um, under penalty of death not to tamper with. Um, and the stakes at the beginning, it's established early on that he's a fugitive from the law. And um, he's an American citizen who's living in Mexico primarily and doing this smuggling kind of stuff. Um, and the reason he's a fugitive is because of a bank robbery gone bad, essentially, in which he lost um, his wife and the mother of his, his daughter. We spend um, a lot of time um, early on in the book. He, he accepts the job, obviously. Um, and and we we travel with him, you know, down perilous and, and treacherous, uh, you know, roads essentially to to get to where he's going, um, given the the constrictions that have put on him. So um, the book does spend a lot of time um, covering traveling that vast empty space right between uh, Mexico and, and and Texas. He's obviously got to stay, you know, off of roads. He's got to avoid uh, border patrol. He's got to avoid police. Um, and you know he's on foot, so there is there is a good portion of time spent really. I felt demonstrating really well um, what kind of uh, shit, not solitude, what kind of desolation that um, that would entail. Um, and he's constantly wondering uh, and and pushing the boundaries on 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 what to do with this uh, this package that he has. I mean. God damn, he really shouldn't have opened that one canister. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, not surprisingly, when given those kind of instructions, right? Like that's the kind of the expectation. I don't I don't want to imply this book is tropey, 
but I mean, come on, what what would we do if he didn't interact with the package in any way? And it it goes a little farther than that, right? So he's given, you know, what I picture is a big metal briefcase, a Richard Thomas style <laughs> briefcase handcuffed to his wrist, right? Like that's that's how they give it to him. And uh the first thing he does is cut it up, you know, get it get the handcuffs cut off at the first like tire shop he can find. And then uh you know, transports this into his backpack. So he's he's broken rule number one inside of like thirty minutes from from accepting the package. Uh, and probably like in a smart way though, because like it references briefly a military pass, which has given him some sort of survival skills and stuff like that. But like having done smuggling long enough, you kind of figure out like that you have to, you can't just take things at face value. You have to try and see what is, how are they trying to fuck me? What are, how, how are they putting me in danger? And so his instinct is I'm going to control the situation by understanding, you know, what my cargo is kind of. So, um, it wasn't just like random curiosity or just like a boneheaded thing to do. He did it because he was very experienced and, it was the smart thing to do to make sure that he was in control of the situation, whether or not it actually ended up being a smart thing. is, is a different, <laughs> that's a different story. I'm with Jesse on this one. I take the same approach Jesse did. This could have been a much shorter, much happier ending book. If he just listened, right? Yeah. I mean, Rob's point is good. And I mean, yeah, a metal briefcase, that's just going to be glaring off the sun to, to no end, yeah. you know, but still, I mean, but then again, like Livia said, yeah, it would have been shorter, happier. I guess that's how all these kind of stories go. It's like, oh, well, if they just would have done that, none of that other thing would have happened. Yeah, there would have been no book. I, I there know, would have been I, no movie. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> this would, so. And that's, I love that, that at one point, Livia's made that point about something we were talking about a long, long time ago, that like, the reason we're reading this is because this is the story that is interesting. And so, yeah, that's why these things happen. Um, so over Dodd's travels, um, he doesn't really encounter a, a, a whole lot of people, but there, there's one key player. Um, and that is a uh, refugio Romo. Any, any debate on the name refugio refugio? I think geo refugio. Yeah. Refugio Romo. He is, um, sounds like refugee. He's a border patrol cop, but Refugio is uh, the the um, the Dodd equivalent of a border patrol cop. He has made his uh, his uh, his money essentially, and his name to some extent, um, for you know penalizing people who are crossing the border by taking their cargo, um, taking their money, um, you know, or or then if it's people, just you know, obviously putting them in in you know whatever border patrol custody. But he's like the worst guy. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say that. He might be the best guy to run into because he's not going to run you in, but he's going to take a significant cut of whatever it is you're carrying. And that's really, at that point, Dodd already has faced some challenges like food and water and shoes and a variety of things. Um, but then he runs up against Refugio, who makes his job um, even more difficult. Would you say... And this one goes out to Sean P. Ferguson that Refugio would be like the foil for Dodd. Like a, uh, a literary yeah. foil. Everything that happens to Dodd is because of him. There you go. Foil. Yeah. 
Hmm. Yep. I it all happens to, to Dodd because of this guy. He knew what he was doing. Yep. Once he saw what's his face? The the contact. You know, that's when his plan went into action. He wouldn't have known otherwise. I'm debating on if Dodd's story changes without Refugio. So my argument, and again, this is moving a little bit you know, further into the story, but just for conversation's sake, this is the kind of thing, by the way, if you're not a patron, um, this is the kind of thing you would normally hear in spoiler talk. So <laughs> yeah, listen, well, totally. just to hear, you know, I mean, this is really, this is really it. Like people who aren't Patreon subscribers really have no way of knowing. So my, my premise is this. Do we think that Dodd would have made it? Anyway, if Refugio hadn't stepped on him, so to speak, on his on his way to to, to the meetup, absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. He, did, he didn't even know Dodd was out there until Dodd's contact turned up at the border, trying to walk across. And that guy had a picture of Dodd in his suit. That's a good yeah. point. Wait, but did, all right, that's real spoilery. But anyway, um, did right. he? Sorry, did he, I thought we were going there with this one. No, <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. Yeah. Um, I guess so. To answer your question, my my thought on that, Livius, is um, it is absolutely a mechanic of the plot of the story that um, Refugio finding Dodd mid journey um, has a very like catastrophic impact on his ability to complete the job. Um, and even in the book, at one point, <clears throat> and this may be too spoiler, I'll cut it out, he literally, Dodd literally says, like, the man that killed me. He doesn't, you know, he didn't He didn't know it'd be killed. Yeah, me. that's true. So Yeah, that's true. I was thinking more of Refugio when we get to part two as being, um, uh, you know, a, a, a more of a plot device for part two than for part one. Oh. It's well, where, my, where my thought was on that. Yeah. So yeah, he's a big bad bitch. <laughs> so to get us back on track, I'm going to refer back to the synopsis. So hey. um, something that transpires that you may be able to suss that out from what we've said. Uh, used to the shadow Dodd Rain's cast when he stood dripping from that water. It was the shadow of a fugitive, but now that fugitive's coming home, and the shadow he's casting, it's got rabbit ears. So remember what we talked about in there. Like, there's a transformation that occurs. And uh, that's essentially where we leave off with Dodd in the, you know, at the end of the roughly the first half of the book. It's literally the first half of the book. So, like, the book is, and I, this is crazy. So the book, the print book is 208 pages. And the first part ends at page 104. So this book is split exactly in half the first half being uh dodd's story and the second half being the story of Lori, dodd's daughter Lori is now a border patrol officer herself so um i don't know maybe is it 14 years i believe has passed yep. rob yep. this is a little fresher for you 14 years has passed Lori um was taken in by somebody um and raised uh, in texas and became a border patrol agent so we're introduced um, to her while she's essentially called to a uh, to a crime scene where her, we'll say for lack of a better term, adopted father 
is uh, is found uh, dead in a really odd and mysterious way. Yeah. So this is where <laughs> we're going to start spoiling stuff. Um, so, Too late. Yeah, like we're spoiling stuff. So, And I think we should just do it. Um, because I don't think that spoiling... I, I think if we spoiled practically everything, it still would like the book would still be fun to read. Um, oh, goddamn right. So, all right. So we just had a little breakaway where we decided how much we're going to spoil and we're going to do our best to not spoil the book in a way that makes it where you don't want to read it but we still need to talk about some stuff so this guy um is found in a motel room basically cooked to death as far as anybody can tell it's very unsure they were not sure it's not uh, it's not obvious that there was like radiation or something like that but it kind of looks like it was like a heavy dose of radiation even though the body's not giving off any signs of radiation. So they're really kind of confounded about what happened. Um, and so now the border patrol people are trying to figure out how this guy died. This is a little spoilery, but because the adoptive dad for, for Lori is Refugio, who we mentioned previously, they call her in um, to identify the body because the way that the person died, they need a positive ID basically from her. And that's how she gets kind of looped into um, the shit that's going on starting 14 years after her dad um, went on that, uh, that job. I'm going to fast track us a little bit through um, plot as far as what we're going to talk about. And then we could zero in on any, any particular point in there. So from there, Lori um, goes on an investigation to find out who killed her adoptive father um, who she's really, you know, kind of beholden to. Um, <clears throat> he took her in because of his, uh, his weird sort of pseudo relationship with her father. When he knew he wasn't coming back, he went and got her. And this is how she's grown up, right? So she's got the tale of two dads. She's got Refugio, who took her in when she was young. She's got this mythical father figure that she she remembers, you know, some things about, but, you know, He's the the figure in the doorway that'll be home soon kind of uh, situation. Um, but it, it doesn't take too long for her to start putting two and two together and figuring out that the person responsible for Refugio's death might be Dodd, her actual dad. Very well fast forwarded. And I want to mention the fact that like we've basically gotten through like 75% of the book without mentioning um <laughs> The chupacabras <laughs> came up in the synopsis and and other kind of rabbit-eared things, and so it's there is an element of weirdness to the book <laughs> that sorry, um, an element of weirdness. There's an, there's an element of weirdness that's threaded through what is ultimately a story of like a father and a daughter, whether it's the fa- original father and the daughter or the adoptive father and the daughter. Um, and and so there are weird rabbits and weird chupacabras and stuff that actually exist in this book and contribute to the plot. Um, I just want to bring that up because it's not just some weird fancy window dressing in the synopsis. Those things do exist. Um, but because I think the plot is so good at representing um, Dodd and Lori and, and their lives and the ups and downs of their lives that's far more kind of crucial to what's going on than the fact that there's like freaky dogs and rabbits and stuff. 
<laughs> but let's let's be honest though. Uh, I'm not sure that the book. Um, I'm not sure there's a book without that stuff. Oh, totally. If that I agree. Makes sense. I agree. Yes. So um, you know. Uh, and, and again, we can dive down and, and, and talk about uh, these things a little bit. I'm sure that anybody who's astute that's listening has kind of figured out that something happened to Dodd. That Dodd has become something different and that he's looking for revenge on the people that did him wrong. So um, there are some great elements within that, though. So I'm going to talk about, um, you know, just a terrific character. There's a, a guy named Dave who is a, a pirate radio DJ who takes over one of the stations at night. Um, Lori winds up enlisting his help because he's, you know, he's looking at the chupacabras and stuff. And she figures if anyone's in the know or knows enough people that can help get around the right path, it's this guy that has a, a small following as a essentially conspiracy theorist on a pirate radio show. What a great character. Like, like just having a, a pirate <laughs> conspiracy theorist radio guy um i mean we wound up seeing this in twin peaks you know many <laughs> many years later right but what a great character to have um and to introduce into this book uh, in in you know at least for me I, I mean i've seen this but everything i've seen is post dated this book this is probably the earliest i've seen um the enlistment of somebody you know with that special set of skills and i think it's just wonderful now i'm wondering when the the spit the x-files spinoff the lone gunman came out um, <laughs> but i here's what i'll say about the dave character is that it's nice that he wasn't like a spineless piece of shit he was like a spineless good guy <laughs> yeah and that's that's always interesting too when you've got the character that's in the know and they're they're the authority until they're faced with anything remotely resembling the reality of the things they talk about yeah like that's a great dynamic for a character but yes yes he is a good guy and that's that's the thing that's like he, he's just got some it, there's an endearing quality to the fact that like he he turns out to be like somewhat heroic um and and any doubts you have about his character are kind of thrown away at some point but um he it's he really believed this shit all along he wasn't just some scumbag looking to get you know famous or you know get the the best headline or something he actually believed the stuff that was going on which is cool for sure um other characters that appear in the book um really all kind of really tertiary characters so we have sanchez who's uh, Lori's boss um who, who pops in and out of the picture you know he's the guy who convinces her to take some time off but then realizes that she's doing you know what she's not supposed to be doing which is investigating this so he's kind of an on again and off again uh, uh character through the course of the story and then uh really the only other people are all you know spoiler alert they're all like the bad guys they're they're all the the guys that um either got um dot into the situation or were somehow part of um of, of his uh of, you know uh, successful he got he got the product where it needed to go i think we figured that out but um you know his smuggling his his final um act of smuggling yeah um and then yeah this is the wall of like we've spoiled plenty but like we don't want to spoil how it all ends right by the way, no. the, lone, the lone gunman, um, 
that spinoff TV show came out in 2001, which is easily nine years before Dave, the conspiracy theorist became, um, you know, a relatable character. Yeah, that's in this interesting. Book. So I did. I never, I know what it is, but I, I think I watched the first episode of that and, and that was it. They are like, I know this is totally a, a you've watched some of the X-Files though, right? That they appeared mm-hmm. in like yeah. the X-Files yes, episodes. Yes. Yep. Yes. They were like the conspiracy nuts who actually like had a heart of gold. So instead of being a hooker with a heart of gold, conspiracy nut with a heart of gold. So, yeah. Don't you think all conspiracy nuts have a heart of gold, though, really? No. I spent okay. so much time this weekend watching videos about conspiracy nuts with uh, flat earth. No uh, hearts. They're just, I mean, they might not be evil, but they're. I was yeah. going to say, I was waiting to hear the argument for, for how, how bad these people are. They get they get really trolly and like you know bitchy. So I don't know. Anyway, has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now. Um, Yeah. So I think from a story standpoint, I don't think there's anything else we're going to go into. Um, Some things I want to talk about are really um, so Jones. I feel like every Jones story I've read is pretty weird. Uh, Maybe not all of them. This one's really fucking weird, and it depends on some (laughs) really weird premises. Premises. Shit, what's the plural premises? Premises is? Premises? So probably not C's premises. Premises. Um, so you get this really super weird stuff, which is great, because without it, there's no story. But it's really down to the like little details and little moments that, that stand out for me in all of his work that, that, make, that make it all great. Like the, the, his way of looking at things or these little, um, I forget what it is. But he he explained a system for something early in this book, and I wish I would have written it down or, or whatever, but I can't remember what it was. But I was like, see, this is what I love about the guy. He has taken a, a concept that's pretty simple that nobody ever thinks about and kind of laid it out in a way that you go, huh, that's kind of interesting. And, and to me, the blend of that with the weird stuff really makes for an enjoyable read. I don't know, man. I mean, like you guys, you both know that I that I love his work a lot. And it's like reading his, reading his books. It just, they just make sense to my head. Like the, the way he writes is kind of how I hear things. So it kind of just always jives. Like it never feels like someone's trying to explain something to me. I'm just kind of, it's like pure input. Like it's going right into my brain. Hmm. I guess. All right. So, and I kind of made, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but like, uh, what I think of when you're saying that is like the, uh, existence of chupacabras in this book. Um, I think it's kind of a loosely applied term because the term existed obviously before the chupacabras in this book did, um, they just happened to kind of fit the explanation, but like the way that they came about, while completely fucking strange, um, was at least some sort of origin for what they would be and why they would be the way they are. And um, that's what I love about Jones. When you're reading his stuff, it's obvious that he thought about, well, why is this how it is before he wrote about it? And if he didn't, it at least really seems like he did. Yeah, Dude, it's and, like the zombies in Zombie Bake Off, how there's an evolution with zombies, how each generation yeah. differs from the previous, mm-hmm. and no one had ever done that before. It's like, no, this is this way because of that. 
Yeah, and that's the thing with him. I mean, maybe thoughtful is is the way that I, I would put that. Like, he puts a lot of thought into his writing, even when it's a weird fucking zombie book or a book that has chupacabras and weird rabbit monsters and, and whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if uh, how many other people could take a book with this premise and take it as seriously as he did. If that makes sense. Same right. thing with zombie bake off insert Stephen Graham Jones book here. Right. <laughs> like some of them are really weird. Like growing up dead in Texas was, was like a pretty serious book. Like a, your kind of basic mystery um, kind of detective novel. Like he took that seriously, but he took this book just as seriously. And I think that's what makes it great. Cause this should be a, a, a throwaway, um, uh, horror monster genre book, but he treated it with every bit the same respect and thoughtfulness that he treats his more serious work. And that's so got... consistent. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Rob. That's so consistent because if you think about the thing I was thinking about recently is that in Last Final Girls, um, the killer uh, before kind of at the beginning of the book, the the killer quote unquote dies by falling into off this cliff into like this body of water or whatever uh, in a seemingly unsurvivable way but then like not long after that these teenage you know kids from the high school or whatever have found a way that if you jump a certain way into this water it's easy to survive and so like the the thing that in a normal slasher film would just never be explained he worked into the plot like the understanding of how that could actually physically be possible. There's so much thoughtfulness that goes into it. For sure. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about specifically? Or, I mean, I've got, I've got like one quote maybe that I scribbled down. <laughs> well, I've got, I've got a couple, couple thoughts or one of them actually on the back of the book, there is a, a blurb from, Craig Clevenger, which really kind of illustrates what, what you were saying, Livius. And uh, Craig Craig said on the book, no other writer could have done this, period. Stephen Graham Jones has built a story out of radioactive scrap metal that anyone else would have rendered as keech. But with Jones, the diary of a rabbit-headed zombie, chupacabra, shepherd, is absolutely convincing and utterly moving. I mean, we should have just read that and then said, keep reading. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a fair way to, to treat that. So, I mean, yeah, that like, no, you, you totally nailed it. Like all the thought that goes into it. And my other thought was for me personally, I mean, there, there is a lot of thought in it and I totally appreciate little details like that. Like, Oh, this might be the, this is like a chupacabra prequel. This is an origin story here, but it's the heart that really just, it really gets me. I mean, those last two sentences of this book are just so perfect. And it just nails it all home. And there's just. Yep. Yep. Dude, dude seriously, every time <laughs> I read this book, I, I fucking cry. I'm going to I'm going to elevate that. And I'm going to say that the last two sentences of each part of the book are the same way. You're, like You're right. Because the the and you go from the first part of the book is the perspective of Dodd to the second part of the book being the perspective of Lori, and both of them 
basically the sentiments mirror each other and it's like this very emotional impact um so yeah i'm i'm going to i'm going to agree with you but i'm going to step it up and say the end of the the dad section was is equally as powerful yeah you're right man that i'm looking at it now and yeah that so a little little transparency when Jesse reread this uh, in preparation for this episode, um, I don't remember the exact sentiment, but you know, in a text message, you said something about how like how emotional the 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 book had gotten you, and I was like, all right, hadn't started reading the book yet, so I was like, all right, so this is going to have some feels, and anybody who's read any dedication that Stephen Ram Jones has ever done, where he mentions <laughs> his wife, will know that this man can hit you in the feels, and. So I was like, okay, and then I get halfway through the book, and I was like, oh shit, is this like the feels, or is this like just like pre feels? <laughs> and so, yeah, so yeah, um, yeah. To me, I like to boil the book down to like the study of characters, like usually, and and what it really means, and like all of the crazy, uh, unbelievable supernatural stuff is usually just set dressing for the extremes that a person goes through in their lives and, and boiling people down to what matter to them. And Stephen Graham Jones does a great job of making this book that has chupacabras and like evil rabbits and rabbit people, um, all about like a, a, a father and daughter and their love for each other. Well, shit, dude, since you brought up his, his dedications, let's just look at this real quick at the very end of the author's <laughs> note in this book. And mostly, thank you to my daughter, just born when I wrote this, and to my wife for giving me that perfect little girl. I'm going to, like, send this guy flowers. <laughs> All right. Uh, then I guess we should just get into the wrap-ups. Jesse, your book, you go first, buddy. I mean, big shock. This is This is flat out five for me. I love this book so much. I don't know how many times I've read it. It's probably in the twenties, but I mean, just for before this podcast, I read it, reread it twice. And the first time I like got home from work, was dead tired. I'm like, I'm just going to read a few pages before bed and whatnot. And then I just stayed up until I finished the book. And then I read it again, like a day or two later. I, this book just, I mean, I already said it, this, this book kills me every time I read it. It's, waves of emotion in all the feels like Rob said awesome um, I'll go next um, I have now read uh, 10 Stephen Graham Jones books and uh, the man he has yet to, yet to disappoint and uh, I'm going to rehash some of the stuff I said I think it's wonderful that he can take um, a, 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 you know it's a wacky premise um, and and write it in a serious enough way that you can uh, afford to take it seriously. You know, something comes to mind. Um, shit, I can't. Can Adam Cesar's book, Rob? Do you remember the book? Um, um, it's like a blob. Hang on. Rolling over people. Exponential. Yes, exponential. Exponential. Um, though though they feel like they could be shelved right next to one another. Uh, on the on the the bookshelf like it, it like uh if you like this you'd like this like that's the outside feel but jones takes this so seriously that he elevates 
whatever that genre would be called like and i'm not saying this in a mean way but like ridiculous horror or or, or whatever um to to a literary standpoint because of how seriously he takes um the story the relationships and like i said all the little details around it right so it makes it um enjoyable from the fact that you get to read something that's very different from a lot of other stuff you've read um but you also get to read something that's as well written and as thoughtful as uh, as some of the best literary stuff you've read. So uh, Jones has yet um, to miss with me. Uh, he's not going to do it tonight. I'm also going to give this five stars. Well, I guess that makes 15 stars then. Um, five stars. And it's not even that it's Stephen Graham Jones. It's that it's a fucking great story. Like, I want to make that clear. We've, we've always... Uh, heaped lots of praise on Stephen Graham Jones, the stuff he's written, um, and some stuff more than others. Like um, we read that story, not for nothing, which is a detective story uh, written in the second person. And while I remember enjoying it, I don't think I'm going to remember it as much as I remember this story. If that makes sense, um, we, you know, I love and will always love the least of my scars. Um, so I enjoy his writing but this story just kind of again exemplifies the fact that this guy takes something and and i I don't know if it's there's some process of internalization or 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 an empathy that he has with the story he's writing or what it is but it just feels more genuine and more approachable and relatable than if it was written by someone else to uh to the point about the exponential book and stuff like that um So yeah, five stars. Man, it was a great story. It's 200 pages. It's not a huge story. It's easy to read in one sitting if you want to. And even though it's got really interesting, fucked up, supernatural stuff going on, I love the fact that it's a story about a dad and a daughter and like the bonds that they form and, you know, what we do when, you know, shit goes bad. So it's a great book. 15 stars to a book that you never get to read. That's <laughs> the best book so, you'll um, never, ever read. Yeah, so um, we should talk a little bit uh, um, about uh, a couple other things. So, Jesse, there are, there are a couple of questions for you. I want to start because this one probably relates most closely to this. Do you know? I mean, it's called book one of the Bunnyhead Chronicles as like a sub whatever, not a subtitle, but whatever an addendum to the title um do you happen to know as as the um resident Stephen graham <laughs> Stephen graham jones historian um were, were their intentions was that just a cute way to to, to name the book or, or do you have any information on that i'm not sure if when this came out and when it was being planned or picked up by trapdoor books if there was a direct in, intention there but i do know that he he has written a follow-up. It's actually in his um, his papers are now at Univer- University of Texas Lubbock. So anyone who wants to make the trek down there can sort through like fifty boxes or whatever it is oh and, and and read read his papers and manuscripts and stuff. But it's called Once Upon a Time in Texas, and I know it's in that collection at the library there in Lubbock. 
<laughs> so I was, I, I mean, I was, I was being serious when I asked the question. I, I expected a, a, a little bit of a different answer because I'll be honest, I don't know where this book goes from here. Or this series chronicles, you know what I mean, goes from here. Yeah. Um. So I'm probably never going to be in Lubbock, Texas, but I would be interested <laughs> to know what the premise of a follow up is. Yeah. No yeah. idea on that end, but. I don't know. Maybe I'll get down there one of these days and read it, and then I'll tell you. <laughs> well, it is the Bunnyhead Chronicles, so you would imagine that it would have to do with the Bunnyhead character. However, the ending of this book didn't seem like it was too unclear, so I don't know. So we took this offline for about eight seconds, in which these two guys completely <laughs> turned me around in, on, on what I just said. So um, there is hope. That hope lies in a pile of papers in Lubbock, Texas, apparently. Um, <laughs> and before we, we talk about hope for, for this book or, or another Bunnyhead book, um, Rob and I were talking before you got on, Jesse. Do you know in which books um, Stephen Graham Jones introduces or talks about storage facilities? Because I feel <laughs> like it's like it's a, it's a disproportionate number. <laughs> Prevalent, I think, oh. is the word you're looking for. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's more prevalent, storage lockers or people puking? Wow, that's a good point. <laughs> probably, I mean, you could even probably elevate that question to people puking in storage lockers if you... I think it might just be the ones you two have read already. <laughs> <laughs> we just yeah, have a that's, ear that's, for that's that. Quite, that's quite the cop-out. Like, only the ones you've read <laughs> until we read another one, right? Is that, yeah. Well, I mean, you guys did bring up Not For Nothing earlier. and That's one of them I thought of. It basically of. opens in a storage locker. Yeah. yeah. The other one now, being Lisa My Scars, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, um, that's in there, too. Yep. I, I'm hypersensitive to, to the storage uh, <laughs> mentions because of previous employment that I had. So I, I, I catch those all the time, you know, but I, I thought like this has got to be the second or third time that I've read a Stephen Graham Jones book where a storage uh, facility features, you know, fairly prominently in the story. You know what? He's not wrong. I mean, I've, I've gone to storage lockers for for jobs and whatnot. And the whole thing about the house locks. Yeah, he's dead on about that. Yeah. I mean, maybe not now. I haven't been to a storage locker in years, but back when. You know, in the 90s and whatnot. Yeah, there were totally house locks. It would have been so easy for anyone to break into a storage locker. And mm -hmm. Livius could testify about the bodies stacked up like cordwood. <laughs> uh, yes, Livius could, for sure. So um, I guess the next thing we want to talk about is how sadly unfortunate it is that there are um, a number now of Stephen Graham Jones books that are not available in ebook um, or in, in any kind of, uh, you know, reasonably priced um, physical format. Yeah, I've got some thoughts on that. Um, I think... Oh, you go ahead, Rob. Well, you probably have a more I all right so i'm gonna posit what i think he's got a lot of books that have come out over the course of what the last probably 20 years 15 years probably close to 20 20 years i'm gonna say 20 years um and uh, you know not all of them on big presses so like eventually those presses are going to go out of business and like unless he um 
has it in mind to kind of shop that book around again. He doesn't seem like he's a re-shopper. Like, some people will take the same story and sell it to 12 different places. Um, other people, once it's published, you've that it did its thing and you move on. And I feel like he's more of a did its thing and move on kind of guy. But I really believe that there should be, like, a Stephen Graham Jones, like, at least, like print-on-demand kind of presence where people can get their their hands on the older books yeah i mean i'll i'll chime in with with you know the 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 dark side of that like it's a digital world so if somebody doesn't want to keep putting money into to printing books uh, you know or or you know i mean there's there's not much more work that goes into print-on-demand i mean creating it than it does into an ebook at this point i'm just sad when something isn't available digitally you know, I may make that movie, music, book, um, whatever. But in a case like this, here's a book that, that the three of us really liked um, that, that isn't available to the person who buys the next Stephen Graham Jones book and says, well, I'm going to go back and read all of his stuff. You know, and it's not available to him at under 200 bucks. Or if you happen to find it in a library, and I'm, I'm not sure, you know, what kind of distribution this had, if it's in libraries, if it's just in libraries in Texas, I kind of doubt the library down the street from me has it. Um, but it, it, it's it's challenging and, and, and I guess in some ways frustrating for somebody who develops a, a love for an author to have to, you know, beg, borrow um, a, a book from someone or, you know, fork out a couple hundred bucks or never get to read it. And it just feels like 2019 that shouldn't be happening anymore. Well, before Jesse chimes in, think about what was that uh, Sinnerman, Lawrence Block, um, the Lawrence Block yeah. book we read where... Yeah. He basically he spent something like three years just trying to track down the book because he couldn't even remember what name he wrote it under. Like, like, mm -hmm. like it's it's somewhat the the damage of like the passage of time is like there's so many things that get in between someone and the original publication. So, um, yeah, that's uh, but it's not it's it's sucky for like you said like. We are we're probably newer Stephen Graham Jones fans as opposed to like Jesse or or Misty, um, who have been bigger fans of him for longer. So the newer fan, the people that basically were turning into Stephen Graham Jones fans are fucked. Yeah, and that's I mean I know before this podcast when I tracked <laughs> down an author and I I read a book I liked I I would seek out all of their other work and it would suck to run into something like this. Jesse, do you have any thoughts on um, staying alive in publication? Are you for it, against it? I mean, I totally think it sucks that this book is is out of print, and I only hope that he has all the rights back. You know, I'm, as far as I know, Trapdoor Books doesn't even exist anymore, but I don't know what kind of contract might have been signed. Like, if the publisher's no more but the yeah. book's tied up until the end of the contract or if the publisher ends and then that like null and voids all written agreements. I'm not really sure how that works in every case, but I'm hoping he has all the rights back for this book. So it totally sucks that this isn't available for people to read, but it's better that this isn't available to read for people than it's been stolen. Like, and I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. That's what happened with demon theory. And that ebook has basically been stolen from Steven. And, you know, someone's selling it without without the rights or the proper payment. Like, he gets no money from those sales because of what the publisher did in transferring properties around. So, well, yeah, it, do, it does suck it's not around, but, you know, no one's 
basically profiting off of him profiting off of steven's work yeah 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 well and that's was that and without going into that because i don't really know much about it but that was like the whole mccadam cage bankruptcy thing right or was that something different yeah demon demon theory came out on mccadam cage and and that was a that was tied up in that and i believe i'm not sure i believe mp publishing somehow ended up with a bunch of a bunch of those things because i think they're the ones that's tagged on the ebook version of that mm. but somehow like he doesn't get money from i'm not really sure what's going on with that but that ebook has basically been swiped out from under him and i think he's mentioned before maybe on his website or maybe in interviews like very just briefly the idea of hopefully getting to he doesn't he doesn't usually talk about most of his books that are out of print that i've seen but the demon theory one i know i feel like he's talked about that one hopefully someday getting a re-release and maybe like an expanded type edition or whatever like he's maybe talked about the the first draft of it seeing the light of day or whatever Mm, nice because that was like that was the second book that he wrote i believe but it was the fourth one published I think fast red road bird yeah that was the, <laughs> it was the fourth one published but it was like the second one he wrote so he wrote that right after fast red road which is actually his dissertation in his doctorate program all right. I, I just thought of something that um, I, I think bears mentioning. Um, I have a copy of It Came From Del Rio for exactly one reason. At one point, Jesse saw my bookshelf and he saw how few Stephen Graham Jones books I have. And this has probably come up on the podcast before. I think you sent me like 15 of his books. <laughs> Just so that I would have more, just so I would have them, like because, and I'm I'm assuming that meant you had those as duplicates. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it was it was honestly a box full of just Stephen Graham Jones, and uh, so now I have all these books, and I got to read it came from Del Rio, uh, in the original print format in perfect condition because Jesse was like, oh, you don't have enough Stephen, and he just sent me a ton <laughs> of stuff. So like that's the kind of nice dude. Uh, that Jesse is, or hey, like I said, man, this episode was just so you two would read this book because I love it that much. Which is a welcome change to. I thought this book would make Livius happy, <laughs> um, so I'll take that. I'm happy with that. It makes me very excited. Um, it wasn't just pleasing Livius. This I is me see. pleasing me without making you read another Scottish book. There you go. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you which one I liked better. <laughs> um, so before we move off of Stephen Graham Jones, uh, I'm gonna again defer to the resident expert. Um, what are we gonna see next from uh, from Stephen Jesse? His next novel, The Only Good Indians, is coming out. Uh, I think it's April of next year, actually, and it's kind of a. I believe it's billed as a slasher, actually. So maybe if maybe if Leadfeather had been a slasher story, one of those kind of things. But he also does have a he has another tour, uh, the publisher tour, 
uh, novella coming out sometime next year. I don't think it's gotten released yet. Released date yet? It's called Night of the Mannequins. So, <laughs> so those two are coming out, as far as I know. And he's got some other stories and collections coming out, but those are the two main ones I think, and they're both coming out next year. Yeah, if I remember what I read about the Only Good Indians, it has kind of the um, people paying for the bad thing they did in the past type of plot uh, thing going on, um, if I remember correctly. So it sounded interesting when I read about it. Yeah, Entertainment Weekly, I believe it was. Uh, yes. Yeah. Actually posted, what, like the first whole chapter for it. Yes, and they said he was the next. Uh... <laughs> He's the... <laughs> He's the Indian Jordan Peel. The yeah, the yeah, exactly. They they, they the, said he the, was the like Native the American Jordan Peel, the Jordan Peel of yeah, whatever. So uh, yeah. I mean, good high praise, high praise for sure, or at least high hype. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'll take it. That's fine. Does he ever disappoint though? No, that's and that's the thing. Like they don't know how right they probably are. Because they just like to use fancy words, or or shocking words. <laughs> Livius, I feel like Livius is just checked out. He's not talking anymore. <laughs> I, I was just, I, I I was just listening to this. All used up our energy on potable water. <laughs> yeah. This this rabbit hole on uh, on things. I also was wondering that when unhelpful got taken off of Amazon reviews. That's where my brain went because I realized earlier that you <laughs> used to be able to mark um, reviews as unhelpful. And you can't anymore? You can't? No. I'm going to blame There's trolls. There's only a helpful button. Yeah. It's probably trolls. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm always looking forward to more new Stephen Graham Jones. So, again, he has yet to, yet to disappoint. So, um, Jesse, this was your pick. Thank you for uh, bringing something to our attention that uh, we probably wouldn't have gotten to on our own. So we appreciate that. Uh, don't forget, if you want to become a Patreon subscriber, um, you can get Spoiler Talk, which is going to sound a little bit like the messier parts of this review for books <laughs> where we cover things that uh, we probably shouldn't cover on uh, under the premise that you might want to read the book. Um, but yeah, at a certain level, once a year, you can just say, hey, I want you guys to review this, and you have the option. It's not required, but you have the option of reviewing it with us. So, thank you, Jesse, for being a great co-host. Um, and now oh, we can talk you. about now we can talk about the Downton Abbey movie for twenty-five <laughs> minutes or so, and then we can uh, move on with our lives. That oh, I, I didn't know that was what was coming next. <laughs> yeah, that's the rest of the episode. That's... So, at any rate, uh, oh, in the well, event, Livius, you're the only one who's yeah. seen it. Yeah. So... I'll just in hit mute. In the event that you are a Downton Abbey fan, I will say, uh, I believe the way I said it earlier, was a completely unnecessary but welcome, uh, you know, a bit of fan service for for fans. Um, the Downton Abbey movie was everything I expected it to be. It was wonderful. I got a little rob towards the end of it at, at a moment. <laughs> where I, my eyes my eyes filled with tears um, for, for a couple of moments, I, I uh, of course, did not let them spill down my cheeks, lest I be ridiculed by all the women that were in the movie theater, because I, I may have been the only the only man there. Uh, loved it. That's all I got. All right. I got something. And you never saw this coming, Livius. I was recently, in preparation for our next uh, Halloween episode, I was listening back to Spooktaculars of, of Old, and... Um, <laughs> 
Was it last year, Jesse, that uh, you couldn't attend for whatever reason? I think it was last year. It was last yeah. year, yeah. So part of that episode, Livius took advantage of your absence to be the only voice on the Halloween movie that had just had released before that before that episode to say how disappointed he was in it. Um, uh, you know, you know there are two more Livius, right? <laughs> oh, I know. I expect equal. Well, I don't expect equal disappointment because now I've readjusted my expectations. <laughs> so I expect that they will fully meet my expectations. So I just think that because Jesse didn't have the opportunity to counterpoint Livius, uh, you know, last year in the Halloween episode, that you'd have something to say about the Halloween movie. I don't remember what Livia said, though, what I'm, like, supposed to be countering exactly. Uh, I mean, you just say how great it was, is really what I was oh. getting at. I mean, I mean, yeah, the movie's fantastic. I guess, like, it kind of, I don't know, kind of relates to Del Rio and some other things, too, I guess, where, like, really all that matters is is all the fucking heart that's in these things. And Halloween has that in spades. There is so much love in that movie. And the way they address and deal with trauma in a very heartfelt, respectful light is astonishing. I mean, it's it always comes down to the feels, no matter what the story is. If it's a book, if it's a movie, that's all that like truly matters in the end. It's like, yeah, I want to see some cool shit. I want to see Michael Myers. I want to see some werewolves and whatnot. But if the heart's not there, then I, I guess I just don't give a shit about it, really. I'm not sure anybody wants to see werewolves in a Halloween movie. I mean, when I say Halloween, I mean Halloween franchise movie. They tried that with they tried that with uh, the the Halloween three season of the witch. Yeah, and it it didn't work out very well for them. Uh, I mean, you get what I'm saying, though, right? I I so I think the thing that I like so much about the um that movie the new Halloween movie was that, um, well, obviously what Jesse said, but like the, the rigid adherence to the idea that like, there is no explanation for why Michael Myers is evil. He's just evil. Like you don't try to give context to it. He's just bad. And the only way to deal with just bad is get rid of it. And when you choose not to do that, that's when you get into like bad shit, like happens in the movie. I thought it was great. It's just such a simple thing. Like, you know, A is good, B is bad. And when people choose B, that's when you get your head stomped in on the side of the road. Yeah, he shouldn't be explained, and that's totally a good thing. Like, I don't know. Can, who, has, who has the connections? Can we call Paul Tremblay up real quick and get him on this podcast? Because I feel like <laughs> Halloween is the answer to all of his prayers and goes along really well with head full of ghosts. Cause he always <laughs> said that he was, he's always been bothered by movies and books happening, but no one ever talks about the aftermath. They never show the aftermath. Like in the exorcist, the movie, they're just all happy at the end of it or whatever. And that's totally, that doesn't ring true at all because yeah, they went sense. through this horrific thing. They would have trauma and they would have to deal with that. This Halloween does that. Laurie Strode had so much trauma and we got to see what that did to her for her lifetime in this movie. Yep. And no one ever addresses that in, in stories that often. 
That's true. It made her the only person that really understood what was going on. And but because people don't understand how to approach people with trauma, they didn't like listen to her. And that's where all the problems came from. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> I um I would just like to say that I completely respect your opinions on the movie. <laughs> um I just want to know why there were two people that had to play the shape in the movie. Because when I popped on the IMDb, yeah, yeah, and I'm curious as to why we needed two actors, and actually one of them, he doesn't look any like physically does not look to be the guy. That's why, um, because they brought Nick Castle back, who was the original, the shape. So right. it's kind of a nod to to that to have him reprise that role. But he obviously can't can't do the full all the physicality full killer of Mike it? Myers thing. Yeah, hmm. that's interesting. That's my I guess. guess that would make sense. Like, so they needed him for the authenticity of like the mask off kind of half shots and stuff like that. Is what you're saying? Oh, but like for the yeah. more physical, crazy stuff, they didn't they didn't use him. I'm guessing. Yeah. I guess I see what you're saying, right? So you've got the the guy who's uh, significantly aged. The other guy that played him is a uh, is a uh, I mean significantly. I mean probably like in his late 30s, maybe early 40s, but wouldn't match up age wise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he was born in 57. I guess he's older than I thought. He's 60. 60. Well, at the time of the movie, it would have been 60 years old. The guy that plays the shape. Mm. But he's a pretty buff looking guy from his like IMDb snap. You know the <laughs> the little photo. Right. Yeah. Huh. Either Halloween way. kills and Halloween ends coming in 2020 and 2021. Goddamn right. And all, <laughs> all including Jamie Lee Curtis and um, uh, it's everybody from the the other one, right? Well, everybody that survived or whatever. Everyone that survived is going to be back in this next one. And is the music? Are the is John Carpenter? And his kid involved still, right? I'm assuming so. Yeah. I mean, was... the whole team, the whole team's involved. I don't see why they wouldn't be. All right. Anyway, Livius will just be just as disappointed in these other two. No, no, no. I they told you, renewed expectations. Yeah. <laughs> you can only be disappointed if you expect something. <laughs> That's. It's really how that works. <laughs> and I didn't I didn't hate the movie. I was just let down by it. I mean, and that's why I said I don't there I mean, you know, whatever. It's got like a six point nine on IMDB. Clearly there are people who like the movie. And I'm not begrudging them that. It just wasn't what I'd hoped. Wait, hold on. Um now I'm looking at John Carpenter's credits and in upcoming projects, twenty twenty one Halloween ends. Twenty twenty for composer. Uh writer. Writer credits Halloween Kills 2020, Halloween Ends 2021, but there's also something called the Haddonfield Nightmare. Is it writer or is it characters by? Oh, it might be characters based based on characters by. Yeah, it's based on characters by. But what the hell is Haddonfield Nightmare? Plot huh. details under wraps. Uh, this the people that are like listening have already tuned out. So <laughs> anyway, yeah. I mean. But I mean, speaking People of horror podcasts, have, have you guys out. seen Satanic Panic yet? <laughs> Not yet. I really plan to, though. <laughs> what is this that I'm supposed to be watching? 
Satanic Panic is a horror movie that the screenplay was actually written by Grady Hendrix. Oh. And it's, awesome. it's so cool. It's it's just a really fun horror movie. I am on iTunes right now. Uh, Grady Hendrix, for anybody who's listening, who, who fucking survived all this nonsense, <laughs> um, he wrote We Sold Our Souls, uh, which we reviewed not too, like, in the last six, eight, six to eight months, I think, and we really enjoyed. He's got yep. a new book coming out, right? Uh, next year, I think. Can't remember yeah, what it is. Yeah, something about the southern something society gothic vampires or whatever yeah it looked good and i bought that horror store book um i found it in half price books so basically imagine a horror story that is the layout the book layout uh mirrors a a, like a ikea catalog oh yeah it's a cool Um, looking book yeah i'm really liking this grady hendrix character and, and jesse's the one that that put Grady Hendrix on our radar by sending Livius the uh, "We Sold Our Souls" book, and then we, which pushed us into to reviewing it on the podcast. So, uh, thanks for the heads up on that that one. I just want to tell you guys that I did see the trailer for Satanic Panic. I guess I didn't realize that's what it was called because I was pretty sure that it was the trailer for Tales from the Crust, the movie. <laughs> oh yeah, pizza horror. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I watched. I was like, "There's you just gotta watch it and review it for book to have Keaton on." Um, Is this where where, is this available somewhere to watch, or is this uh, in the movies, or it's on iTunes now? Okay, all right. It might be. I think it's streaming. Um, Yeah, it's probably pretty. Google Play. Yeah, yeah. DVD is like October twenty second or something like that. Okay, but I got it on iTunes. Gonna watch it tonight. I guess should we wrap this up? It's been going long enough, right? Yeah. It's for the love of God. Where it's just gonna be me and Jesse talking about shit that's just annoying, Livius. <laughs> so in that one scene from Scott Pilgrim, where blah, blah, blah. oh man, it was just the twentieth anniversary of Spaced. <laughs> oh yeah, Spaced. I haven't watched that whole series. I don't even know what the fuck that is. Edgar yeah, keep asking. What is that? What Edgar Wright's. Um, so, that sounds next week on booked. <laughs> oh yeah, what do we have yeah. coming up next? Yeah, more of this bullshit next week on booked. <laughs> it's going to be an interlude episode that will sound frighteningly similar to like the back half of this episode <laughs> as we struggle for things to talk about and argue about, about movies and <laughs> All right. whatnot. So we're taking a break from the books because year to date we have read a fuck ton of pages. Oh, do you want to keep page update? I'm very excited about this. I was hoping that you would take the hint. All right. So first of all, this is our 25th book review of the year, which anybody keeping track knows that's 25 that Livius has reviewed and 24 for me because I, I dipped out of the the Mr. review. There's a story about that little thing you spray water on, like your plants and stuff. It's, yes. It's, it was a horror story about a <laughs> spray bottle. Like an atomizer. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> So those 25 books add up to 8,878 pages. Uh, And we got three months left in the year, so we're easily going to hit. I say this now. (laughs) Easily. (laughs) We're easily going to hit our 10,000 page goal for the year. A little hubris. Yeah, yeah, no, we're uh, we're good. And uh, a couple of things that are coming up. 
an interview that we're not going to talk about. But we are going to have the John Horner Jacobs book, A Lush and Seething Hell. Um, you know, assuming that the publisher does the thing where they send me an ebook <laughs> of that in time for me to read it. So we need to follow up on that. Uh, Fred Venturini's new book, The Escape of Light, is coming up. Uh, we're definitely going to be doing Aaron Morgenstern, The Starless Sea. Yep. Mark Z. Danielewski's Little Blue Kite. Um, and, and that's just the ones that are on the docket that are like scheduled in right now. I'm looking at the dates for all of those uh, all of those reviews. So uh, lots of cool stuff coming up. There will be a Halloween extravaganza spectacular that I'm actually pretty excited about based on a note that Rob sent me um, the other day. So I'm really looking forward to that. And of course, the holiday office party excuse to get together with my homies and drink chocolate wine or whatever's <laughs> oh, on yeah. the for, for this year so a lot more find um, guys um i i will find a bottle jesse i will find a bottle. hey um actually i'm gonna wait let's finish this up i have a question right. for you guys well lots lots more awesome stuff including lots more jesse and misty in the future that's gonna wrap it up thanks again jesse for uh, i guess we'll do the thing jesse do you have anything to plug before we uh wrap it up uh patreon.com slash book man you are the best i like that he is the that best is a good plug <laughs> that is a good plug um i think we're gonna let um jesse take us out of this so until next time i'm livia snedden i'm rob olson keep reading